You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. As promised, Dan Callahan of Callahan and Blaine is here in the studio. We're going to get with him in just one minute. But before we do, I just want to let you know that our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests, just like today's guest. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on a radio show is your answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our show. And with our exclusive prospect engagement program, and we deliver 24 warm prospects to each of our annual advertisers. If you'd like to learn more, contact Rose Chamora, 951-515-4661. Let me give it to you again, 951-515-4661. More information can be found on my website, which is criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. Pleasure to be here. It's good to have you back. As many of you know who are loyal listeners, Dan Callahan was on our show before. If you want to hear his previous uh, previous show, you can type in his last name, C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N, or go to May 4th of 2010, you'll be able to hear my interview. Dan, let's start by, tell me a little bit about Callahan and Blaine. Well, Callahan and Blaine is a firm I formed 30 years ago. And we now have 35 attorneys. We specialize in litigation and trial work. We do business, trade secret, unfair competition, and employment litigation primarily. And we have the highest jury verdict in Orange County history at $934 million. That's a business case. The highest insurance bad faith judgment, $57 million. Highest employment at $38 million. And the highest personal injury in the United States history, settlement, for $50 million. So as you can see, we do a variety of areas. And let me expand on that just for a second. Sure, please do. What's critical when you pick a lawyer for litigation is to have somebody who's comfortable in the courtroom, somebody who's been there before with proven results. Some CEOs think what they should do, let's say they have an employment case. Well, then I have to get an employment lawyer, but not really. You need to have somebody who's good in court. Uh, an employment lawyer, if he knows wage and hour, doesn't do you any good on a wrongful termination. If he knows wrongful termination, doesn't do you any good on employment discrimination. Okay. All cases really come down to just one or two statutes and two or three cases, which are fairly simple to learn. Then, if you have the litigation skills, you can go in and you can win. Okay. So your your position is that experience is more important than your domain expertise in the subject matter. Totally. Uh, What's really important is being able to go into court and know the judges, know what they like, know how to present your evidence, and know how to win. Okay. Is that a different world in the courtroom than in life? It is a totally different world. Uh, It's something I'm very used to because I've been doing it now for 35 years. So, um, When did you know that's where you belong? Probably when I I'm not saying that's where you belong in the courtroom, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? That you're in your element there. Uh, Well, at an early age, like in high school... Uh, I was on the debate team. I did very well. My okay. parents encouraged me to go and become a lawyer. It was always in my mind to become a lawyer. So I just hopped on that track. I went to college, went to law school, went into litigation. I've been doing it ever since. Okay. Because that's I, the difference, right? Going, You can be a lawyer without being a litigator. Oh, that is totally correct. In fact, if you take all the lawyers, there's probably only about uh, 5% that would consider themselves litigators. Really? And then less than 1% that would be a trial lawyer. A trial lawyer, a litigator is somebody who can file a complaint, can do discovery, and then their knees buckle when they have to go into trial. (laughs) 
<laughs> really? A trial lawyer. <laughs> really? That's a, fantastic. A imaging. trial lawyer is somebody who uh, gets over that initial hurdle. Everybody's nervous the first couple times you go to trial. Right. But you know, the way you overcome that nervousness is by being prepared. Right? So right. Wh- I would think. Yeah. What we do is we pride ourselves on preparation. You know, you've heard the expression, the luckier, uh, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I use that expression because I find that to be true. It is true. So what really helps is you prepare, you read all the cases, you read all the evidence, read the depositions, prepare your examinations, prepare your opening statement, and not only do you get a great grasp on the facts and the law, but you become very confident. Okay. And when you're confident, now you walk into the courtroom and you're the 800-pound gorilla. So right. that's you carry that, and the jury. Carry so when you when you're in these trials, are they jury trials? Often, I prefer jury trials. You do, yeah, I do, uh, because a Can lot of people don't, a lot of people don't care for jury trials, but uh, I love it. I love love to be able to do my opening statement to the jury and convince the jury on the facts of my case, whether I'm a plaintiff or I'm a defendant. And one little thing I do, here's a trick for you. When I'm doing it, the jurors are all put in their seats, and the judge announces their name. And I will memorize all of their names. And by the time I'm ready to get up to do the examination, the jury selection, mm-hmm. I now have memorized all of their names. Usually they start out with 18 of them. Okay. And when they have the 18 in the box, the judge is asking them various little questions, warming them up. He takes about a half an hour to do it. I'm not listening to that. I've heard it a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, nothing new there, huh? <laughs> but what I'm doing is I'm going, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, Ms. Garcia, Garcia, Jones, Jones, Garcia, and keep going through all of them wow. until I've got them all memorized. Wow. And, and remembering names is not my uh, strongest uh, ability, but right. in the courtroom, uh, doing that, it's an easy drill. And when the jurors hear you call them by their name, they very much appreciate it. I would think. Because you're recognizing them as a person. Right. And then when you're asking them questions, you want to listen to the response and then follow up on the response. And also, they fill out questionnaires at the beginning. Read the questionnaire. Because if you ask them the same question they answered on a questionnaire, then they're wondering, why didn't you do your homework? Right. Right. So it's really all about doing your homework. It's, it's all about being prepared. It's people skills. It is people skills, fundamental people skills. Right. It's respect. It's calling somebody by their name. We're talking with Dan Callahan, Callahan and Blaine. We're talking about the life of a of a of a litigator and a trial lawyer, which, uh, as he said in the open, Callahan Blaine has clearly differentiated their brand and their firm based on successes, significant landmark cases, and award-winning cases that they've won. And we're talking about the psychology of being a trial lawyer, which is fascinating to me, because it would seem to me that when you do that, when you have the ability to call 18 people by their name and have a relationship, if I have to come up after you, I may not feel as confident as I would have if you didn't just demonstrate that skill before me. Well, that's true. In fact, I did that one time in San Diego, and I had this large law firm on the other side. The guy who's the head of the New York office and his guy who's the head of his Palo Alto office and the guy who was the head of the Palo Alto office followed me on jury selection and actually said, well, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not as bright as Mr. Callahan. I cannot remember all of your names. Really? I'm going, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. You've just set the stage, right? And the, another thing, if I go ahead and remember everybody's names, later on when I'm doing my closing argument, I say, and you remember when Mr. Jones said this? Mm. 
Well, they may not, but they know I sure as heck do. Right. You have credibility with I that. I have credibility. Wow, that's amazing. We're talking with Dan Callahan of Callahan and Blaine. So I want to ask you about your philosophy for how you've built your firm, your guiding principle for how you have led this organization to the heights that it's achieved. What is your overarching principle and philosophy? You know, I touched on it already in part, and what it is is total preparation. Uh, Also, we have 35 attorneys, as I mentioned to you, and none of those attorneys have any less than 10 years' experience. What my guiding principle is, is hard work, preparation, and having a team of people smarter than I am that can work at the same level that I work. Uh, So we are very careful with the attorneys we bring in. I think it's hard work as a guiding principle. That's just simply it. That's it. So I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of wanted to circle back on that point because I sense that sometimes people like to get experience so that they don't have to work because they see patterns, right, in the work. Oh, I've seen this before. I know how this is. I don't know how that. I'm not talking about lawyers. I'm talking about professionals, right? I have enough experience that there's sort of nothing I haven't seen before, so I don't have to put my A game on because I've kind of have all these years of experience to, to rely on. That doesn't sound like that's your philosophy No, that is at all. not me at all. And that would be the wrong thing to do. Once you take yourself for granted and you think, I know this, I know this, and you're not... I've seen this before. You're not going to bring your A game. I think it may be a uh, character defect of mine, and that is <laughs> <laughs> that I actually I take over the case, and uh, let's say I have three other lawyers in the law firm who've been working on this case. They've taken the depositions, answered the interrogatories, reviewed the exhibits, I have to learn all of this. I go into a lockdown mode where everything is brought into my office. I read all the depots. I digest them. I prepare the examinations. I read all the exhibits. It's because a little bit out of fear because I do not want to be embarrassed in that courtroom. I do not want to be the guy who doesn't know the answer to a question. I really go out of my way to make sure I know it. In essence, what I've done is I tend to put the other side's attorney on a pedestal, and I prepare to fight this Goliath. Right. When they show up, they're just as big as I am, but I'm more prepared than they are. So so that is a lot of work, though, isn't it, to go through all the pre-work that your attorneys have done, the depositions, to read all the written material? I mean, that must take hours of your time. But that's what we're known for. Our firm is known for that. So as a result of that, when we do go to trial, we get great results. As I told you about the $934 million, the $50 million, $38 million, $57 million, et cetera. What also brings a benefit to our clients is the attorneys know that we prepare, so they settle. Oh, really? They settle. If we're on the defense, (laughs) we can cut a sweet deal for the benefit of our client. And if we are a plaintiff, we cut a sweet deal for the benefit of our client because they know we are going to walk in that courtroom and we are going to be prepared. And our track history indicates we're also going to walk out winning. So I'm talking with Dan Callahan of Callahan and Blaine. So is it your experience being a trial lawyer that during the case things can be come up that were unanticipated or that the other side tries to create an environment that's unanticipated and that based on your background research and homework, you're able to anticipate or at least respond in a positive way to those curveballs or changes that might come up? You are correct. Uh, when you read everything and not just somebody, some summary that somebody gives you of a deposition or a right. summary, these are the key exhibits, just read these. When a curveball comes, you've read all the depots, you've read everything, and you can deal with it right then and there. And one more point. When you are prepared, you have the examination for all the witnesses already done. 
uh, with link to exhibits and te- deposition testimony. Okay. Now, if a curveball comes up, you can go back to the office. You can work on that curveball before the next day, as opposed to having to go back to the office and say, oh, wait, I've got to prepare for Mr. Smith's examination tomorrow. I haven't done it yet. If you've already done it, you have the leisure to go off on these other venues, other avenues, right. you know, to make sure that everything's going good. So is it, and excuse th- this question if it doesn't make sense to you, but is tr- being a trial lawyer a bit of a performance art then? It is. It's uh, a little theater. It is a little I mean, theater. I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm trying to say you're dealing with people and you're trying, especially in a jury trial, right? I mean, you're, you're, they're making decisions about you constantly. Constantly, from the moment you walk into the courtroom. In fact, before then, I tell all of my attorneys that when you get within a few blocks of the courthouse, keep in mind there can be a juror anywhere. Oh wow, that's right. When you go <laughs> to cut them off. <laughs> when, when you go to lunch, there's there's a panel of jurors not yet selected, but they may be there in the same restaurant as you. Right. You know, just be professional at all times, not just when you walk into the courtroom, but when you're down in the cafeteria, when you're in the parking lot anywhere if you just really conduct yourself as a professional as a life mission right. it becomes a lot easier right yeah because th- if i were the juror and you behave one way outside of court and another way inside of court i would think the way outside of court is the real you correct and this is just some game game some act some just act that you're not and, and if anything I'm, it might work against you even more then right i would think it would right okay so we're we're on octalkradio.net and we're at broadcasting live so you can choose not to answer this question that's fine is it the same when you don't have a jury trial? Is it still a performance when you're dealing with professionals who are in the courtroom, you know, the judges and the other, the people that are there and that are kind of used to that? Is Do you have the same responsibility to convey and convince uh, those you people? Have you have the same do? responsibility when you're appearing in front of a trial court or a judge uh-huh. as you would in front of a jury. However, you present different to a judge than you would to a jury. The judge is not going to be swayed by emotion as readily as a jury could be. Okay. So the arguments you present to the judge could be different. You're going to be focusing more on the legal arguments, a given case or two that control this particular issue that should render the decision in your favor. Okay. With a jury, you're not arguing cases. You're arguing facts, emotion, and logical links between different acts. Interesting. So you can get the jury to be going with you and then the implications of everything you're saying. Right. So we're talking with Dan Callahan. So it, and you're, on a, you're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show. So it sounds like maybe in a, in, a, in a case in front of a judge, it's the competency of the law that you're presenting. And in front of the jury, it's the competency on the law, but it's layered with a little more human approach to it. Considerably more. And when you have your cross-examination of the witnesses, you know, the way you tear a witness down in cross-examination has a huge impact upon the jury. Really? Oh. In what way? Well, when you impeach their credibility, you can lead the person down the road to try to give you a false statement. (laughs) And then, well, here's something, if you have a second. Yeah. We're not in Mayberry anymore. You know what I mean? It used to be that everybody tells the truth. The handshake is a deal. But Mm -hmm. now... In today's society, sometimes people think they can lie if they can get away with it. So when you're dealing with corporations, often they don't know that they assume you don't know anything about their corporation unless they've told you in carefully crafted discovery responses. Right. But if you go outside the litigation and you find out facts that they did not give you, you can come back into the litigation and ask these innocuous questions, yeah. which would elicit a false response if they think they want to cover themselves. Wow. They give you the false response, and all that does is highlight the significance of the concealed fact. Wow. And it blows up in front of a jury. Right. Are there... 
and we're gonna have to stop and take a commercial break. I'm talking with Dan Callahan, but this is fascinating, and I know I've got a bunch of other questions I was gonna ask you, and we'll get to some of them after the break, ladies and gentlemen. Like what to do to prepare yourself for a successful litigation. I know that's what many people are tuned in to listen, but I hope you're as fascinated as I am with this conversation. So, um, has there ever been a moment in a trial where you knew, okay, as long as I keep on this course, this trial, I've won this case, even though the case hasn't come to wraps yet. I mean, maybe something like that happened, a key witness on the other side, or there was a moment in time where you just went, okay, that just cemented it for there us. There are many moments like that, okay. but it's never, you never want to take it for granted that it's cemented. Okay. But you, you walk out of that courtroom that day going, nailed it. Good day. Yes. Right? One on our side, right? Exactly. Because it's like a teeter-totter then, a little bit, maybe. Yeah. And with the jury, you know, you don't have to win 75-25. Just 51-49 will do it. Okay. Just a preponderance of the evidence. Just one uh, bead of sand, grain of sand more on one side than on the other side. Uh, how fun. You make this sound so fun. It is fun. It must be. You've been doing it successfully for so long. Okay. We're going to take our uh, third and final break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. I'm talking with Dan Callahan of Callahan and Blaine. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the process, the very specific process in preparing for a trial that you should be prepared for as a CEO in case you've been in served with litigation. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Let's face it, not all company challenges are the same, which is why strategic market intelligence can help identify the actionable information you need to be more competitive. Gain a better understanding of your brand, competition, best prospects, or new product opportunities to generate greater revenues in 2015. Call 949-357-9547 or visit www.strategicmarketintelligence.com. 
welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Dan Callahan of Callahan and Blaine is here. And as we advertise both in the newsletter that many of you get, and also, as I said, at the open of the show and here in the open of his segment, one of the things that I wanted Dan to talk to us about is what what every CEO should do once their firm has been sued. In other words, how do you implement a successful litigation strategy? So, Dan, can you give us, based on your experience, what CEOs should be thinking about once they've been served? Uh, certainly. Well, first, what you have to do is meet with your attorneys and try to develop a successful, realistic litigation strategy that meets the client's goals. You want to have a strategy that uh, also is consistent with what your client's trying to uh, achieve in his business. So it may be you don't want to do anything that would upset his relationship with vendors or with clients or strategic partners. Sometimes they have to take depositions of third-party witnesses who want to be careful. They meet with the client to know what's good and what's bad. Right. Right. Uh, but then basically you have to make sure you get your hands on all the documents that are pot- potentially relevant to the case. You want to interview all the witnesses that are potentially relevant. You want to learn about those third-party witnesses and may not be under anybody's control, but you want to be able to speak to them in advance so you get their statement or see where they're coming down on the issue. And you know what else is really important at the very, very beginning? And just, I'm glad this occurred to me. What you want to do, let's say you're representing somebody who just got sued. Okay. You want to get an insurance specialist to look at the allegations in the complaint to see if you have insurance coverage. You do not want to send this to your insurance broker because the insurance broker sells policies, doesn't know what's in them. Okay. You don't want to just submit it to the claims handler because their job is to deny claims. You want to go to a lawyer who specializes in insurance. And we, of course, at Callahan & Blaine have that in-house with okay. a few guys. One guy was a chairman of the insurance law section of the bar for the last 10 years. He was also adjunct professor at USC on insurance law. And frankly, back when I knew insurance really well, I taught him this. <laughs> <laughs> so he knows what he's talking about then. He does. I mean, I set nationwide precedent on getting insurance coverage for patent infringement okay. back in about 88 and also statewide precedent, getting insurance coverage for misappropriation of trade secrets, both of these cases were under general liability policies, you know, slip and fall policies. Uh-huh. And you'd be surprised. Uh, with what I'm not going to give you a lecture on insurance law right now, but okay. if you go to someone who has knowledge about insurance, he can make the appropriate tender of that claim to your insurance company, and you can get all of your defense fees picked up. And if you're crafty... Uh, you can also file a cross-complaint on behalf of your client that would go into the other side's insurance policy. And then when it all comes down towards the end of the road, not only do you win defeating the claims against you and have right. that paid by the insurance company, but you can prevail on your cross-complaint and get that paid from the insurance proceeds of the other side. Wow. So this is a key thing that people have to do early in their preparation. And let the- me tell you why. If you don't you don't get reimbursed. So let's say you have a lawsuit, you're served on January 1st, and then you start litigating it, you start doing this process, and somewhere along the lines it occurs to someone, I wonder if you have insurance coverage for this. And four months down the road, they tender to the insurance company. Well, during that first four months where you've not yet tendered to the insurance company, the insurance company has no obligation to reimburse you for those fees. Okay, so those are hours that are lost. Only from the very first day that you tender. 
And also, if you don't go to an insurance specialist and you go to somebody who just says, hey, maybe there's coverage, and they mail a letter off to the carrier, the carrier denies it. The insurance company make a lot of money, not just on collecting premiums, but in denying claims. Now, if you had creditors that can just go ahead and give you bills, and you say, well, I think I'll pay these three and deny those seven, Mm. right? And then of the seven that you deny, five of them go away. Mm. Great. You just avoided paying five of those obligations, right? right? So I'm not trying to be really critical about insurance companies, but the claims personnel have a mindset to try to find a way to deny a claim. Right, but the learning for the CEO of running a business is to find that legal expert who can help to follow Exactly. Okay. And, and for Callahan Blaine, you have those people in-house. We certainly So it's a, it sounds like it's a part of what you do in getting ready for a successful litigation strategy. I became very knowledgeable in, about insurance in 1985 when there's a change in the law. Okay. And by 1988, I thought I can get insurance coverage for anything. <laughs> You know, I had, right. I, had, I had more balls and brains, you know. but uh, as it turns out, I was able to get insurance coverage for patent infringement under a slip and fall policy just by follow the bouncing ball, wow. you know, link the various insurance concepts together. Okay. So I went around the nation lecturing all these patent law firms and patent associations on how to do it. And all they really remembered when they woke up in the morning was, that guy knew how to do it. Give me his card. Yeah, yeah so I would represent clients on insurance matters all throughout the United States. Same thing in California on the misappropriation of trade secrets. I've set a statewide precedent on that. Subsequently, I have turned that over to a partner of mine to really work on the insurance, and I am dedicating myself to trial. Right. Sounds like where you uh, put your put your best foot forward, that seems to be where you excel. So tell me again, what type of firms do you help? We're, people listen to the show, two to $100 million companies, Southern California, sometimes outside the state because we're on the Internet. But wh- what type of firms come to Callahan and Blaine when they have an issue? Well, we have a wide assortment. Okay. We have everything from multi-billion dollar corporations to family-owned businesses. Companies are really of all sizes. So they're in California. I'd say that 70% of my cases are in Southern California. Okay. Maybe I'm just guessing on these numbers a little bit, maybe 15% are up in Northern California, and 15% are scattered throughout the United States. Is it different to practice law in California than another state? Yes, it is. I just tried a case successfully in Oklahoma, and uh, they had a statue of a Confederate soldier out in the front. Wow. So you have to really see that and see what the population might be like. It was a jury trial. Okay. It went very well for us. Wow. Um, so you really have to be sensitive to the, the environment that you're that you're litigating in, that, you're, that the trial is being held in, right? Yes. Because I would think coming from Southern California maybe isn't always viewed as a positive in some of these. Well, the judge, in fact, told me in Oklahoma that these Oklahoma juries, they don't really like California lawyers. Whoa. And uh, as it turns out, he was just trying to get me to settle the case, and the jury came back unanimously for me. <laughs> So, use laughs last, huh? We're talking with Dan Callahan of Callahan and Blaine. Um, you guys have a strong national reputation. You talked about some of the work that you've done, and, and yet you're, you're, you're focused extensively in Southern California. How do you select cases outside of the state? Well, it, the clients come to us, and we then will look at the case to see if it's something that we believe we can help the client with. And if it's a major piece of litigation, then we believe we can help the client with it. Um, By example, we came in on behalf of a billion-dollar company in an employment case, and I was not known as an employment lawyer. I went up against the person who just got the Employment Lawyer of the Year Award, 
and uh, we won 12 zip. <laughs> you know, so as I mentioned to you, you don't ha- funny, sorry. <laughs> you don't have to know wage an hour to yeah. defeat a wrongful termination. You don't have to know wrongful termination to win an employment discrimination case. It all comes down to one or two statutes and a couple of cases, and after that, it's a performance in court. So, which side of the case do you? Do you does it matter to you which side you're on? No, it really doesn't. As I told you, with the cases we've had, I told you large numbers, so we must have been plaintiffs on those, right? Right. right. $934 million on behalf of Beckman Coulter. It's an Orange County publicly traded yes, company. Are. Yes, uh, We're up against a large law firm. Uh, we won $934 million business case. Uh, insurance uh, bad faith, $57 million. That's a difference. Another large firm. Okay. Uh, and then the... Um, the personal injury, $50 million. Of course, these are all plaintiff cases. And the $50 million, oddly enough, turned out to be the largest personal injury settlement uh, in United States history. And the way I learned that is there's a company that apparently keeps track of this, and they contacted me to let me know. And when they did that, they said, oh, by the way, not only are you first, but that one you got for $28 million a couple years ago, that's in third place. <laughs> <laughs> so you get gold and bronze, huh? Right. We just worked a case for, we represent, I don't want to mention client names right here, but there's a $250 million arbitration I handled in front of a retired Supreme Court justice from the California Supreme Court. And there's a very large uh, international company from Las Vegas, owns a casino, in fact, uh, that was coming against our client. And we defeated that, representing the defense. Okay. And the defense, that employment case of the Employment Lawyer of the Year, of course, we defeated that employment case. So we take both sides. The trial skills do not differ they don't. from plaintiff to defense. No, it's all about being prepared, right. having uh, confidence when you walk into the courtroom, being able to assess the jury and the judge, and producing a result doesn't matter if you're on the plaintiff side or the defense side. Well, that's good to hear because uh, CEOs that are listening to this company, maybe they want to consider you or fir- you and your firm should they be in litigation, or maybe they consider you if they believe they've been wronged and they need to, you know, write it. So, if someone would like to learn more about Callahan and Blaine, how do they find you online? Well, callahan-law.com. And how do you spell that? Uh, C A L L A H A N dash law l a w dot com. Well, the time has flown by. I really have been looking forward to having you back in the studio to talk about what you do. You never disappoint. You always deliver great content. I'm sure the people that listen live have enjoyed it. And tell two friends to listen to this podcast. Crystal Nunley, our producer, will have it up tomorrow. So, Dan Callahan, thanks for being a friend of the program and a part of our community. Rick, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my engineer is telling me it's time to wrap it up. So I'd like to thank our advertisers, Center Club, Community Bank, Decision Toolbox, Executives Unlimited, MBN Design, SNH Rubber, Strategic Market Intelligence, SunUp Group, T and Company, Tone Software, Turn Up the Volume, and UPS Protection. Until the next show, this is your host, Rick Franzi, saying I hope that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. 